This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Well, this morning you're all in my Sunday school class, which is going through the book of Galatians. And when, uh, when I was asked to preach today, as Tony's been off this week, I thought, well, gosh, I'm gonna have to miss a week of my class. We're gonna have to extend it out. But as it turns out, this week's lesson in Galatians really dovetails very nicely off of Easter week. So we're just doing Galatians today here. Um, The one thing you need to know is that when I do that class, I get an hour and a half. So we'll be going for a while. Uh, 11, 15 service will start late, but they'll be okay. They'll get an extra long sermon also. Uh, Today, we'll be looking at Galatians 3, if you want to turn there. We'll be in Galatians 3 this morning. Um, I want to ask you before we begin, though, have you ever felt uh, weak as a believer? Have you ever felt inadequate? Maybe like you're just not, you're not good enough. You're not doing well. Um, You're not up to par. Maybe you're, you're looking at other Christians around you and you think, man, I wish I was like, more like them. And you, you compare yourself to other people. And you feel discouraged. Um, most of us probably feel that way, if not all of us, from time to time. And we, we sometimes may just feel like, well, this week I'm the bad Christian. We can all feel that way, but I, I want to challenge you today to push aside those kinds of feelings because of who Jesus is for you. All that he's done for you, all that he promises for you, all that he has for you. Oftentimes, we may not be able to feel uh, what, what Paul felt or say what Paul said when he wrote to the Corinthians in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he said that he was going to boast in his weakness and that when he was weak was when he was strong. Well, how could Paul say that? Because we wouldn't naturally want to say, I'm, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses and man, when I, when I feel weak, I re- that's when I really feel strong. That's not natural for us to feel that way and to say that. So how could it be that Paul would say that? Well, if you look back at the beginning of verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 12, it's because God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul was asking him to remove that thorn in his flesh, and he asked him three times. God said no. My grace is sufficient for you. That's why Paul could say, I can boast in my weakness, and in my weakness I am strong. It wasn't because of Paul. It was because God is sufficient. Christ is sufficient, and he is for you. He is for me. So we can boast in our weakness because sometimes we are bad Christians. Sometimes we're, we're not doing as we ought. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is that does not change our standing in Christ. You still stand before God because of Jesus as righteous, as holy. We sung about those things today. Because of Christ. So you can say, in my weakness, my failures as a a human being who struggles still with sin, I can still boast. Because it's not me that's great. 
It's Christ that is great. It is him that I give all the glory to. He is my strength. That's why we can be strong when we're weak. And if we're all honest, all of us are pretty weak, aren't we? If we're just being honest, because we don't measure up. And, and we don't do ourselves any service when we try to measure ourselves against other people. We've been talking about this a lot in, in the Galatians class. We, we ought not to do that. Look at, look at somebody else and go, man, I wish I could just be more like them. There may be some things that are good about that in certain ways that want, want to encourage you, but I wanna discourage you from measuring yourself against other people, comparing yourself against others because that's a great way for you to become discouraged. Or on the flip side, it's a great way for you to become judgmental. Boy, it's too bad they're not more like me. If they were only as solid a Christian as I am, they would be so much better off. We can easily do that. Remember Paul, how, how he viewed himself at the end of his life as the chief of sinners. He understood that better and better as he got older and older. As he grew in faith, he saw himself and he saw God more clearly. We need the same thing. We need to understand that we are weak people. God is not. Christ is not. As we look at Galatians, I wanna just give you a brief introduction. So those of you who have not attended my class, shame on you. <laughs> you couldn't all fit anyway, it's okay. <clears throat> Quick introduction to where we've, where we've been as we, as we get into Galatians chapter three. Uh, Paul began writing to these churches in this region of Galatia because he had gone there on one of his missionary journeys. We've looked at that in the book of Acts as Tony's been going through that. He'd preached in a lot of these cities he's writing to. He'd started churches in those places. The gospel had, had been planted there and churches were growing and people were coming to faith in Christ in these places. And then he writes to them this letter, and his is the only epistle to one of the churches that does not start with words of encouragement and commendation to the church. Listen briefly to how Paul starts his other letters to churches. To the Romans, he says, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. To the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians, our hope for you is unshaken for we know that you share in our sufferings and you will also share in our comfort. To the Ephesians, he writes, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in, our, in my prayers. To the Philippians, he writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for all you, for all you, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. To the Colossians, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. First Thessalonians, he says, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father, your, and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and the second letter to the Thessalonians, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Wouldn't it be great if the Lord wrote a letter like that to Grace Bible Church? Hey, Grace Bible Church, you guys are really growing in your faith. It's awesome to see the love that you have for each other. And then there's the Galatians. Paul writes to the Galatians, and this is how he starts off in chapter 1. After he does his greeting, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. No encouragements, no commendations, astonishment that they're leaving the gospel. They're turning away from Christ. He goes on, verse 7 of chapter 1, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That is how Paul begins his letter to the churches in the region of Galatia. He's writing to them to defend the gospel because there have been those that have come in adding to the gospel. Jewish people who had come in saying, hey, Jesus is okay, you can follow Christ but before you can be a Christian, you need to do certain things. And what they were saying is you need to follow the law. You need to follow the Old Testament commands that God has given us. And if you don't, you're not a good Christian. You can't be a follower of Christ. And so that's what's come into this region. And the churches have been accepting that. They've been listening to these false teachers They've been listening to what they're saying and adopting these, this false gospel, assuming that, well, that must be right. Now, there's a, there's a danger for us here because we can do this too. We can do this easily without even sometimes realizing it. There's something we've been talking about in class. It's very easy for us to understand is that we all, we all know that in, in the world that we live in, we do things in order to get certain things. We, we work to accomplish something. We work to attain something. We've known this from childhood. We've practiced this from childhood. If you want mom to let you go to your friend's house, what do you have to do? You better clean your room and do your chores first. If you want to get good grades in school, will you study a little harder? You want to get that promotion at work, you work a little harder. We understand that principle of do something to get something, work harder to obtain more. We understand that. The problem is when we bring that into our spiritual life in a, in a bad way that says, if I just do more, God will be happier with me, I will be more righteous, God will be more pleased well, here's, here's the problem that you and I have when we do that. 
we diminish Christ. Paul goes on later on to say that when we, when we do this, when we start to add works, when we live by the law in some capacity, we nullify the grace of Christ that was accomplished at the cross. Because you and I are incapable of pleasing God more than him. We cannot obtain more righteousness than the righteousness that Christ has already given to us freely. So as you walk through life, how do you, where do you stand? Do you consider yourself to be in the righteousness of Christ and that is enough? Or do you feel like I need to get more righteousness? I need to earn a little more. I need to do some good things in order for the righteousness of Christ to, to, to be grown in me. You can't outdo Jesus, I'm sorry. His perfect righteousness was given to you. That ought to be very comforting to you. That should give you much peace. And it ought to make you rest in that righteousness. And not feel like, ah, I just need to do more so I can get more. I need to do more to get more. That's a principle that should be far from our minds when it comes to Jesus and the gospel and what he has accomplished for us. Because we can't outdo him. And we do him a disservice when we try. In, in addition to what was happening with the gospel, Paul's own authority was being questioned. So Paul spent some time defending himself. And he got to a point where he even had to rebuke Peter because Peter was giving in to the teaching of these Judaizers. Peter was falling back into a, a law-based um, way of living amongst these Gentiles. And he was, a, he was by, his, by his actions, he was agreeing with these false teachers. And Peter had to re, Paul had to rebuke Peter. And then what Paul began to do is he began to reinforce one main thought through the rest of Galatians, and that was this. Your justification is based solely on the grace of God through faith in Jesus. That's all. Your justification is based on Christ alone, through faith alone. We sing those things, but sometimes we don't always think properly about that. And we will, we will find ourselves falling back into bringing law back into our thinking, bringing works back into our thinking, thinking that by works and by law, I will, I will accomplish more. I will get further on. When the reality is, Paul says, that's a false gospel. You cannot add works, you cannot add law to the gospel of Christ in order to accomplish more. Paul says that nullifies the work of Jesus. Faith is something that produces works in us. Works do not produce faith. It's important for us to keep those two things distinct and that we understand them properly. Faith produces works. We read that in a number of places in the scriptures, that a tree will bear good fruit, that as James wrote, you, you show me uh, that if you, if you have true faith, it will be shown through your works, through your life. 
So faith is something that is going to produce fruit. It is going to produce works in us. But the reverse isn't true biblically. Good works do not produce faith. Faith is a free gift from God. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't get more of it by being a better Christian. God is the one who grants faith. So if you lack faith, what does the scripture tell us to do? Ask God for more faith. Ask him to increase your faith. We see that in the, in the soldier that came to Jesus asking to heal his daughter. He said, just believe. The, Jesus said to the soldier, believe. And the soldier said what? I do believe, but help my unbelief. He needed his faith to be increased. He had some faith, but he needed more, so he asked Jesus for it. Jesus didn't tell him, okay, go, go study your Bible a little bit more, do these things, serve in the church a couple weeks, and your faith will grow more. He didn't say that. And the soldier knew that, that faith is going to come from Christ. He said, you need to help my unbelief. You need to help my faith to grow, to be strengthened. That's where we need to be. We are foolish and we are deceived if we are trusting anything other than the gospel. If we are trusting our works in any capacity, we are not in a good place and we nullify the grace that is found in Christ. As we move into your notes, uh, there's your introduction. As we move into your notes, there's three, three main points you have there, the curse, the cure, and the covenant. We'll look at those three this morning. Mainly we'll be focusing on Galatians chapter three, verses 10 to 18. But let me read for you, starting in verse one. You guys follow along with me here. As Paul has been defending himself and moved into defending justification by faith alone, in verse three, uh, chapter three, he begins by saying, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That's a rhetorical question that Paul is asking them. He knows the answer is they received it by the Spirit, not by works. Their faith came to them through the Spirit of God, not through works that they had done. He says, are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations will be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let me stop there for a moment. I want you to catch that, that question Paul asked them. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? That statement that Paul makes there is one that really condemns the do-to-get kind of mentality. Do you and I, do we think that by our works we are going to perfect ourselves? 
Do we think by, by doing a certain number of things, we are going to make ourselves better and more Christ-like? Paul says that kind of thinking is foolish. What he's telling us is that what was begun by the Spirit, we were granted faith, will be completed by the Spirit. This is God's work. Philippians 1.6, Paul says to Philippians, I'm, I'm sure that he who began a good work and you will complete it at the end when Christ comes. God will finish the work he started. The Spirit is the one who is at work in us. We do not gain more faith or increase our justification or our righteousness by doing more works. Works are a fruit. We need to remember that. Are there benefits to doing certain things? Of course there are. Is it, does it benefit us to read the scriptures? Of course it does. Does it benefit us to spend time in prayer? Of course it does. But not in terms of obtaining more justification or more righteousness. And the works of the flesh is not how we will be completed. It is the work of the Spirit. You don't grow just because you read your Bible. You and I grow because we read our Bible and the Spirit of God worked in us. We don't grow because we spent 30 minutes in prayer. We grow because we prayed and the Spirit of God ministered to us. This is a great truth for our humility, isn't it? It ought to be. Because then you and I, we can't say, well, you know, if you just would do more things, you're going to be much better. If you just be more like me, you'll be a better Christian. I used to pray for, for a long time when I was early in my, well, not early in my faith, but when I really began to study the scriptures for about a year straight, I prayed almost every day, God, make me a better Christian. God, make me a better Christian. And back then, I, I didn't really know how that would happen. I didn't, I didn't have teaching that helped me to really understand that. That came a little later in my life. But God's faithful to do that. God is faithful to work in you and me. If you know him, he is faithful to work in you, to complete you, to make you more like Christ. But you and I cannot get caught up in trusting our works of the flesh to accomplish what only God can do. We, we seek fruit in our lives. We want to do good works. We're called to do that in Scripture, but not for sometimes the purposes we think that they're for. They don't increase your justification. They don't increase your righteousness. Those are perfected for you in Christ. This needs to be the place you're operating from because it's peaceful, it's comforting, it's restful. And you stop comparing yourself to other people in a negative way or in a positive way. Because the only measuring stick you have then is one person, that's Jesus. That's the only person worthy of us measuring ourselves against. And what happens when you do that? We all fail. We all fail. Praise God for his grace, right? Because we could not get there. We could not attain anything apart from Christ and the mercy and the grace of God. Paul goes on. Here's our text, our main text. Verse 10, chapter 3. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not by abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even when a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if our inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. First, first couple verses, 10 through 12, Paul is talking about the curse that is on man because of the law. And basically he says, if you decide that you want to live by the law, you better keep all of it. If, if you decide you want to live by the law, you better keep all of the law. That's the other way to get to heaven, you see, other than Christ, is be perfect. Live a sinless life. That's the other way. Keep all of the law perfectly, which nobody can do. So for us human beings, there is only one way to heaven. I knew that was going to So Paul here, he tells us, you must keep it all and you must keep it perfectly. You might jot down James chapter 2.10. In James 2.10, he says that if you break one law, you violated all of it. You have broken the law of God just by violating one law. One law makes you a sinner bound for hell, just one. That should help us to see the disparity between us and God as sinner and non-sinner, the holy one and the unholy ones. Because sometimes we think, well, sin's not that bad, is it? It's horrible. One sin removes you from the presence of God, from, from the ability to know him, from the ability to stand before him. One sin. James says it breaks the whole law. And no one has done this. No one has kept the law. Uh, jot down, if, you, if you're taking notes, jot down Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 20. I won't read the whole thing, but some of you are very familiar with that where um, Paul is talking about those who, under, who are under the power of sin. And he says, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks God. No one understands. Everyone is subject to death because of sin. Everyone. Many of you know Romans 3.23, right? No one is righteous. Or we, have, we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. All have. Everyone. We know that.
If we seek to live, Paul, Paul adds, if we seek to live by the law, we will live a life that is cursed. We will essentially be cursed because we are not able to keep the law. And the, the curse is God's punishment, God's judgment that will come to us. And brothers and sisters, there are so many people that live in this wrong way. And there are people, there are people in our Christian churches that live this way sometimes. Some, there are occasions where all of us are subject to going back to this mentality of do something to get something. And we put that into our Christian life, into our relationship with God, our faith in Him. And we want to do more things so that God will give us more, that God will bless us more, so that we can become more of the person that we think we should be. Well, the person you should be is like Jesus. Anybody there yet? Checking for hands, not seeing any going up. Okay, good. We'll be there one day. If you know Christ, you'll be there at the day of Jesus. That's where we will be completed. Until then, all of us are works in progress. We're, we're all on this journey together of getting there, but not there yet. So will, will you boast in your weakness? it probably will give you a greater testimony with unbelievers for you to be able to boast in your weakness and say, you know, it's not, it's not me. It has nothing to do with me at all. I'm not a Christian because I figured it out. I'm not a Christian because I was a good person. I don't go to church because I cleaned myself up first and I, I got there. Because all we can do is point to Christ. That's one of the things that Paul also wrote is that my only boast is Jesus. I don't boast about me at all. I have no boast, nothing in me to boast about. My only boast is Christ. If we're living in a way where we can say that, we're able to boast in our weakness and not be ashamed of that. Not be afraid to say, man, I struggle a lot. Because we all do in different ways. We have our struggles. We have our weaknesses. We have our shortcomings. We all have them. Is Christ sufficient for you as you consider your weaknesses? Is Christ enough? Because Paul's saying he is. He is. He's enough. So let him be. Stop trying to compete with him. Lose the do-to-get mentality. You can't outdo Jesus. So stop trying. Allow him to be everything for you. In Colossians, Paul writes that Christ is our life. Let him be. Let him be your life. Let him be your strength. Let him be your source of hope and faith and growth. Let him be that. It doesn't come from you. You cannot finish in the flesh what God began in the spirit. You can't do that. The alternative that we see in Scripture is uh, seen in verses like Habakkuk uh, 2, verse 4, where the prophet there says that the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. He doesn't say, those who are getting more righteous will keep growing in their faith. 
He says the righteous. Well, who are the righteous? Those who know God. So in God's, from God's perspective, if you are in Christ, you are already the righteous. So now, live by faith. Not by law, not by works. Those come as a result of faith. Live by faith and let the works flow from that. Your works will not produce greater faith. Greater faith will produce greater works. That's always the order we see in Scripture. God uses tools to sanctify us. Don't misunderstand. There are good things about having godly disciplines and spiritual disciplines in our lives. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But you will become more Christ-like through faith and the Spirit's work in you, not through your work trying to help things along and thinking you can, you can get better if you just do better. God's already promised you, you will be better. You'll be 100% one day, but not on this earth. So keep seeking more faith because that will grow every other aspect of your life. That will satisfy you. Oftentimes when I, when I talk about this, I'm reminded of the, the people that Jesus spoke to in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and, and following. Where those, and I've, I've mentioned these, this passage in, in sermons before. I think it's one of the most frightening passages in Scripture when Jesus said, there will be those that say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name, do that in your name, do this in your name? Can't we enter your kingdom? And he says, no, depart from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. These people, they call Jesus Lord, Lord. They're serving in ministry. They're doing things that the Bible says we ought to seek to do. What's the problem? They on, externally, they probably look like they're good Christians, like they're good followers of God. Jesus calls their works evil. Why? And this is where I think it's, it's key in what Jesus says to them. I, I never knew you. There was no relationship with Christ, no true relationship with Christ, with that person, with those people. They knew of Christ. They knew they were supposed to go to church and they're supposed to do good things and they're supposed to call him Lord. They knew that, they understood that. And they did those things in the flesh. Their own power, their own strength. Because what did they say to Jesus was the reason they should get into heaven, into the kingdom? I did this, I did this, I did this. I hope that that's not what you're thinking you'll be saying to Jesus on that day. Is I did this, I did this, I did this. Lord, you should let me in. Because that, that won't cut it for us. What do we need? We need to know Jesus. We need to know Jesus. And he needs to know us. Paul talks about that later in Galatians, but to get that, you have to go to my class. We need to know him, and he needs to know us. There needs to be relationship. It's based on faith. It's given freely by the grace of God. It's not by works. It's not by the law. I, 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 hope that, I hope that you all are understanding the importance of this because Paul takes this very seriously. He says anybody that teaches anything other than this gospel 
They should be accursed. He says that two times in chapter one. They should be accursed. They should be kicked out of the church. They should not be listened to. They are teaching a false gospel, calling it a true gospel, but it's false. This is an important thing to God, that the gospel is understood correctly, that is applied properly in our lives, and that the law does not fit with the gospel. You don't join them together, and that makes you better. Follow some laws and trust Jesus equals perfect Christian. That's not how it works. So there's this curse on man that we can't live up to. We can't obey the whole law. But there's the cure in verses 11, 12, 13, 14, or excuse me, 13 and 14. The cure is seen in Christ. Three points about what Jesus did. The first thing he says that Paul says is that Christ bought us back. Christ redeemed us. He purchased us by dying on the cross. He purchased us. He redeemed us by taking on our sins and becoming the the curse for us. That's the second point there is that he bore our cross. He bore our curse for us. So you, you are not under this curse anymore. If you know Christ you are freed from that curse. You understand the the significance of that in your personal life. You are free from the curse of the law. You're free. Didn't Jesus tell you that that's what happens when you come to know him, that you come to know the truth and the truth does what for you? It sets you free. Isn't that a good thing? I hope that you understand the beauty of that. That being set free from sin and free from the curse of the law is the thing you needed most in this life so that you might experience the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the love of God that's found in Christ. And how did that happen? I went to church and I was baptized and I went to Sunday school. I memorized 17 verses and I got the proof right here. That's not why. That's not how you got in. God granted you faith and the Spirit worked in your life and grew that faith and God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit had their hands on you, crafting you, shaping you more and more into Christ's image until that one day when you're with Him and you'll be just like Him. You can't do that. I can't do that. We're too weak. Boast in your weakness so that you might exalt Christ all the more. Christ bought us back, Christ bore our curse, and Christ brought us blessing. What is the blessing that he brought, specifically to the Gentiles, but to Jews as well? He brought the blessing of the promise of Abraham, given to Abraham being fulfilled, that in him, through him, all nations would be blessed through the offspring, singular, through Christ. He brought that blessing. Jesus is the cure, the only cure that we have. Most of you know that, you understand that. But I want to encourage you to live like that. Cure has been given to you already. You've received the cure. You are not under the curse of the law any longer. Living by by the law, living by good works, will not produce greater faith or more righteousness for you. That is not the biblical way that that happens. 
and it works against Christ, as Paul writes about it here in Galatians. These, these truths are, are so freeing for us when we really grab a hold of them. Because I, I know if, if you're like me, I've struggled at times in, the, in my past with that whole do-to-get mentality because I didn't understand how the grace of God worked. I, I didn't understand some of these things that Paul's writing about here. And so I, I struggled with, I've got to be better. I've got to do better. I've got to do more. I've got to this. I've got to... And, and I would feel discouraged because I wasn't doing enough or, gosh, I failed at that one or I, I missed that day or I should have done that when I said no. And I, boy, man, what a fast way to get down on yourself. And as I mentioned earlier, what a great way for you to become judgmental of others if you do a lot of those checks. I got this one done, got that one done. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, not so good. Wow, you you probably need to hang around me a little bit more. I'll help you out. You're not going to give them more righteousness. You're not going to increase their faith. If you, if you live like that, all you're going to do is help them live more by the law. Paul said, follow me, but as he does what? As he follows Christ. His point was always to Jesus. It was never to himself. It was always to the one that we ought to be looking to for all things, for everything. So there is no more curse if you know Christ, if you know Jesus. It's gone, it's wiped out. And his righteousness has been granted to you. Jot this down, I'm gonna read this from, from Romans 3. I mentioned Romans 3, 10 through 20 earlier. No one is righteous, no, not one. But I want to read, Romans 3 is a really good chapter that goes along with, with this letter to the Galatians. I want to read from verse 21 to 28 of chapter 3 of Romans. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, that means that the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, are pointing to Christ. They're pointing to him. They, give, they bear witness to him. But the righteousness of God comes through only Christ. It's manifest apart from the law. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. You and I have no reason to boast except in Christ. Tell me, is there a greater boast than him? Oh, no greater boast. Are you boastworthy? I don't know if that's even a word, but I'm asking you, are you boastworthy? I'm not. I don't think you are either. If you think you are, come and talk to me about that. I'd like to hear why. 
Maybe we can chat a little bit. I'll send you to Scotty's office for some biblical counseling. Both of these two first elements, the curse and the cure, both of these things fit into God's perfect plan of redemption. They bring glory to God in different ways because of Jesus and his work and what he accomplished, what was done on the cross, fulfilling God's plan, keeping God's promise. And, and essentially, both were necessary. We had to be under the curse of the law. Christ had to be the cure. And both of those things were true. They hold true today. And they both bring glory to God. Because his law is good. His law is perfect. His law is right. But we can't keep it. So we need Jesus. Third part, the covenant. The last, last section. Verses 15 to 18. Paul talks about the covenant that God made with Abraham. And he says that this covenant that God made with Abraham back in, in Genesis it was not nullified by the law. The law did not change the promise that gave to Abraham. Sometimes what we can do is we can, we can forget about the promise God made to Abraham and we, we go back to the, the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament laws and we can get sometimes get stuck there and bogged down a little bit in our, in our thinking. Not that we, we go back and start thinking we better start sacrificing animals again and things like that but just the mentality that we're so used to of do to get, do to get, do to get, do to get. You know it, I know it, we've all experienced it. It's too easy to fall back into it. It's too easy to bring that into your spiritual life. That's what I really want to discourage you from doing in this message today and look more to Christ. But Abraham, the covenant that was, that was given to him was an eternal covenant that God promised him and the law, when it came along, did not change that at all. Paul gives this, this human example that he says that when a human will is, is a covenant, man's will is covenanted, it's not changed. It's, it's not annulled. It's, it's in place and it's permanent. He said God's is even greater than that. Man might break his covenant because man is sinful. God will not break his covenant. God will not break his promise. That's the point that Paul is making in these few verses. And Abraham's promise is one that is Christ-centered. That's why Paul makes the point of, of helping the Galatians understand that when, when Abraham was told that your offspring, meaning Christ, singular, that's why Paul emphasizes that because he's, he's telling us, he's telling the Galatians that the promise made to Abraham was about Christ and what would happen as a result of Christ and his work, that all the nations would be blessed through Jesus, through him, not through Abraham, but through Christ. That promise was made and it has not been annulled, it's not been voided out, it's not been fulfilled a long time ago and it's no longer valid. That is still the promise that exists today that all nations will be blessed through Christ. All of them. That's why we seek to share the gospel with people. That's why we support missionaries local and abroad. Because we believe that promise of God. Do you believe that promise of God? I hope you do. Probably most of you do. That all nations 
people from all tribes, nation, tongue will come to know Jesus and will praise him and glorify him and will be his people. The law does not add to this in any way. Following, following the law, following legalism, following works does not do this in any way. If, if you think about it, how often has legalism hindered you or people that you know? If you, if you consider people that you know that really are rigorous about following the rules, following the law, following works, if they're caught up in that, you probably see some troubled people. I've seen them. Because they get caught up in that, in that mentality that's wrong. It, it becomes about them and their works in the flesh and not about what Christ has already accomplished for you. Fulfilling everything that you need and promising to finish you by the time you see him. Legalism can destroy families, can destroy relationships between parents and children, between children and parents, between pastors and churches. It, it's destructive because it, it removes the gospel and replaces it with works. It's a dangerous way to live. Biblically, it's a deadly way to live. Not for the believer. You still have the righteousness of Christ, but it does not help you, and it only, it only brings greater discouragement to you. And it will not grow your faith. But the covenant that was made with Abraham is a promise that is valid today. And one of the pictures, I shared this in class, one of the, one of the pictures that we see in Genesis chapter 15 is a great picture of a covenant that I, 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 I love. This is my favorite picture in the Old Testament of God making a covenant with us. In Genesis chapter 15, uh, God calls Abraham to prepare a sacrifice for them to make a covenant together. And he does so, he gathers a, a number of different animals and he cuts them in half and he lines them up in two rows opposite each other. And, uh, and they, they get set on fire. The tradition that was, that was common back then was if this type of covenant was made between a couple of men, you do that with the animals, you put them in two rows, you light them on fire, and then the two men would walk through those two, two lines as if to say, I'm serious about keeping this covenant. If I don't, what we did to these animals, you do that to me. That's how serious that type of covenant was. That's the type of covenant sacrifice that God asked Abraham to prepare. And then God caused a deep sleep to fall on Abraham. And God spoke to Abraham and, and shared with him some things that were going to be happening in, in the future of the people of Israel, as well as to himself. Those things are, are the beginning of the promise starting to be fulfilled. And then... God awakens Abraham, and Abraham is not allowed to walk through the covenant pieces. God does not say to Abraham, okay, Abraham, it's time. Let's do this covenant thing. Come on up here, brother. You and me, let's go. Now, you know what this means, Abraham, as he's walking through with his arm around him. If either one of us breaks this covenant, this is what happens to us. You know that, right, Abraham? That's not what happens. If God brought Abraham through the covenant, through those pieces, what would happen to Abraham? Well, eventually he's going to get cut in two and burned. Because Abraham would not be able to keep the covenant. 
what we see are two figures, one of fire, one of smoke, going through the covenant pieces together. Abraham's allowed to watch. Abraham's not allowed to walk through. Abraham is not making the covenant. And I so wish that Moses would have written what those represent. He didn't. But if you think pillar of fire, cloud of smoke, God leading Israel through the desert, I think, this is just my opinion, but I think this is a representation of God the Father and God the Son walking through those covenant pieces together saying God's going to keep his part of the covenant and God's going to keep our part of the covenant through Jesus. I think that's a beautiful picture. I don't know if that's right. It sounds good. To my heart, it's encouraging because I see God the Father and God the Son working together for my salvation. And I don't have a say in it. I don't have to do anything. I'm just watching them make the covenant for me, for you. That's pretty gracious, isn't it? Imagine if we had to walk through those covenant pieces together. How long are you going to last before? How long? A day, two days maybe, if you're good? Probably wouldn't be long. Might be right after you get to the end of it, you're like, I'm so good. (laughs) Done right there. There goes your pride. Might not be long at all. I, I, I love that picture that God gives to us of that covenant God made with Abraham. I think it's a beautiful picture of the grace of God and the work of Christ. Is that what you live under? That kind of grace, that kind of mercy, that kind of sacrifice, that kind of promise? These things need to be so freeing for you. Because Jesus said to us, take my yoke, it's light. Follow me. Truth sets you free. My burden's easy. It is. When does it become uneasy? When does it become heavy? When you and I get in the way and we start saying, hey, Jesus, I got this. You got other things to do. Let me take care of this one. I can handle this on my own. That's when we get into trouble. When we, when we start thinking that I can do what only Christ has done and will do for me. Because I cannot increase my faith. You cannot increase your faith by things that you do. That comes from God, who is faithful and will happily grow your faith. But you can't assume that you can usurp the power that only he has. That's not something he blesses. He made a covenant with you, with Abraham, with all of us, that is fulfilled in Jesus. And the inheritance now is only by the Spirit. It is only by faith. It is not by the law. Paul says that if it were by works of the law, even in a little way, God's a liar. God's not a liar. The promise is not fulfilled by works of the law. Your sanctification, your justification, your righteousness is not completed by works of the law. You can't complete that in the flesh. 
must be completed in the spirit. Some of this might be kind of, mm, not sure about this, Chris, for some of you. It is good. I want it to be a little stirring. Get your thoughts really focused more on Jesus than anything else and anyone else. If you're in Christ, you cannot be placed back under the curse of the law. You will not be ever placed back under the curse of the law. You've been set free from that. Live that way. Remember that Christ has removed that curse for you. He's removed it completely. So live in that way. Live in that freedom. In Galatians, that leads Paul to a question. The next verse, he says, well, why then the law? What's the purpose of the law then? You have to go to my class next week. I'll tell you. No fair reading ahead. Let me finish with this story. We'll be done. In the spring of 2002, I left work early so I could have some uninterrupted study time before my final exam in the youth ministry class at Hannibal LaGrange College in Missouri. When I got to class, everybody was doing their last minute studying. The teacher came in and said he would review with us before the test. Most of his review came right from the study guide but there were some things he was reviewing that I had never heard. When questioned about it, he said they were in the book and we were responsible for everything in the book. Well, we couldn't argue that. Finally, it was time to take the test. Leave them face down on the desk until everyone has one and I'll tell you when to start, uh, our professor said. When we turned them over, to my astonishment, every answer on the test was filled in. My name was even written on the top of the exam in red ink. The bottom of the last page said, this is the end of the exam. All of the answers on your test are correct. You will receive an A on the final exam. The reason you passed the test is because the creator of the test took it for you. All the work you did in preparation for this test did not help you get the A. You have just experienced grace. Our professor, Dr. Huffey, then, then went around the room and asked each student individually, what is your grade? Do you deserve the grade you are receiving? How much did all your studying on this exam help you achieve your final grade? Then he said, some things you learn from lectures, some things you learn from research, but some things you can only learn from experience. You've just experienced grace. 100 years from now, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, your name will have been written down in the book of life and you will have had nothing to do with it there, with writing it there. That will be the ultimate grace experience for you. It is good to know that God is on our side and that God is at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, isn't it? Let's pray.